There's a lot going on right now. I recorded this episode literally right when I got home from work. I had a lot of thoughts on my mind. I didn't have a lot of notes, but I tried to present it in the best way I could. I hope you guys enjoy it. Um, remember, if you enjoy the podcast, head over to Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. Drop me a five-star review. Tell your friends. I'm trying to present the news in the best way I possibly can. Remember, Conflict of Nations Part 10 coming within the next week. Hopefully, it's a big episode. Enjoy the show, everybody. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the podcast. The podcast is Tanner Talks About Stuff That Happened. I'm Tanner, and as always, I will be talking about stuff that happened. It's been a while since I've been here, and for all of you who are still listening, it is an honor that you have decided to stick around with me through, you know, all this time that I've been totally not around. So, uh, the truth is that I've been, well, the truth is that I've been working three different jobs and doing a couple extra, I don't want to say extracurricular because I haven't been in school over the summer, but essentially that's what I've been doing is things that I don't get paid for that are not internships that I'm not getting like work experience for, but, or I'm just due for fun. I have a lot of that kind of stuff going on in my life. And so that's what I've been focusing on. Um, I technically started my own business, which is kind of cool. So that has consumed a lot of my time. But in the meantime, I have been working on my conflict of nation series. I did finish writing, uh, episode 10, which covers the last four years of World War II between uh, the attack, the Japanese attack on Pearl Harbor and the Japanese surrender at the end of the war. That is completely done being written. I just have to record it now. I actually planned on recording it yesterday. We had a big thunderstorm last night, so I didn't want to record with all the thunder going on. And I was going to record it today, but we've got some other things going on in the world that, in my opinion, take a little bit more precedence than you know, recording my regular podcast episode. And so that's why I decided to do this today. So with the events that happened this morning, which I will get into in just a minute, I got on Instagram a little bit, as I often do. I started doing a little bit of reporting to my few hundred followers, which I enjoy doing. I don't do it because I want to be famous or anything. I do it because I just enjoy doing that. I like keeping people people updated and I like to provide people with a source of information that is unbiased or at least mostly unbiased. I do slip into a little bit of bias on occasion when I have my own strong opinions about things, but I do my best to not slip into that. Um, but I did a little bit of reporting <clears throat> and as I continued forward, I got a lot of people asking, uh, really just sending me messages and by a lot, I mean, I don't mean like hundreds. I mean, maybe a couple dozen sending me messages over the course of the day saying, I'm afraid I'm scared. What do I do? I don't understand what's going on. So I decided, you know, what? I'm going to, maybe I should do a podcast episode about this. I haven't done one of the emergency updates in a while, really since the freedom convoy or the Ukraine war. And so I figured maybe I should do this. Maybe I should do a global update. So that's what I'm here doing. That's what I'm going to do today. I know uh, a lot of people asked me to do this, and <clears throat> uh, so I'm excited to do that. And by a lot, I mean like mm, 35 or 40 people asked me to do this, which really just my close friends listen to this podcast for the most part. So thank you for everybody who's tuning in. Let's get this started. I'm a little bit out of practice. I'm a little bit rusty, but I've got two cans of caffeine next to me, and we are just going to get this going. So what is happening today? Well, what's happening today is... China, and particularly the Communist China, uh, Ch Chinese Communist Party and the People's Liberation Army, which is the main branch of the Chinese military, <clears throat> are looking more and more like they are going to invade Taiwan. Like this might actually happen. I'm not, and I'm not, I'm not blowing smoke up any. You know, I'm, I'm being serious. This might actually happen. This is, I, I haven't actually believed that this was going to happen. I haven't really put a ton of stock into the idea of this going down up until this point because. I didn't think that China would actually take this risk because it would bring about certain economic collapse in China. 
and potential societal collapse. And with their whole zero COVID policy, which is, you know, caused a lot of protest in their country, which protests are very rare in China. And uh, Xi Jinping is having a really hard time keeping his grip, like his iron communist grip on the country. With all that going on, I was like, no, 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 there's no way that they're going to go for this. It's, it's too risky for them. And then Ukraine happened. And uh, I didn't think Ukraine was going to happen either, but it did. And that changed my mind about the whole situation in Taiwan. <clears throat> and I started wondering if Russia and China were going to invade these two countries in concert with each other so that the Western world would have no choice but to stand back and let it happen because if they intervened with one, they would have to intervene with the other. And when the West did not directly intervene in Ukraine, I think that basically gave China the green light to do whatever they wanted in Taiwan. So what happened this morning is I woke up to notifications that uh, China was going to be holding six different large-scale live-fire drills in the sea around Taiwan, which essentially meant that they were going to have battleships, warships, planes, things like that in uh, in the sea around Taiwan. And what was going to happen is they were going to be using live rounds to do drills around Taiwan. They were going to be firing live artillery into the ocean. They were going to be firing live bullets from planes. They were going to use real anti-aircraft fire, uh, things like that. And that was all going to be going down in the sea around Taiwan. Now, China has upped their ante a little bit recently, uh, Recently, I mean the last six months or so in this situation, they have uh, flown planes into Taiwanese airspace. They have shot rockets into the Sea of Taiwan and the Strait between Taiwan and China. They have, you know, they've done all kinds of crazy stuff to try to provoke a response from Taiwan and to provoke a response from the United States. I think a lot of it was they wanted to see what the United States specifically was going to do in other Western powers. And the United States didn't really respond to that. And in fact, the United States gave a lot of mixed responses because over the last few months when President Joe Biden was, a, was a, doing press conferences and was asked, Do you, will you defend China? Oh, sorry, will you defend Taiwan against Chinese invasion? Joe Biden directly said, yes, we will militarily assist Taiwan if they are invaded by China, which he essentially said, okay, if, Ch if Taiwan gets invaded, we will send ourselves into a war with China which essentially would be World War III because China has really close relations with places like Iran and they've gotten a little bit closer to Russia and, you know, the U.S. and Russia already have tense relations and, you know, there's a lot of moving parts there and Joe Biden directly said, yes, we will go into Taiwan if China invades. But literally two days ago, the White House issued a statement that said, we will not go into Taiwan if Taiwan is invaded, and we do not support Taiwanese independence, which directly contradicts what Joe Biden has said previously. Not even six months ago, he said that. So that's led to kind of a confusing situation for the U.S. citizens to say, okay, well, are, okay, are we on Taiwan's side? Or is Taiwan the good guys? Who's the bad guys? Or am I going to have to, you know, <clears throat> I sit there and wonder, Am I suddenly going to get a draft notice and get shipped off to the South China Sea? Like, what's going to happen to me? What's what's going to happen to my family, my brothers and my dad and uncles and cousins? What's going to happen to all of us if suddenly we get wrapped into a war for a place that I've never been? I've never been to Taiwan. You know, things like that. And so that has led to a little bit of confusion on the home front. We don't know what's going to happen to us. So what happened this morning 
is, uh, well, what's been happening the last few weeks, I should say, is that uh, House Speaker Nancy Pelosi has been saying that she's going to go visit Taiwan. Nancy Pelosi is, is a high-ranking U.S. diplomat. And if a high-ranking U.S. diplomat were to visit Taiwan, it would mean that it, on a diplomatic mission, it would mean that she and, and the United States, um, but she specifically is recognizing Taiwan as an independent nation because she would be meeting with high-ranking Taiwanese officials who are part of the Taiwanese government. The problem between China and Taiwan is that Taiwan considers themselves independent from China. If you want to go deeper, they consider themselves the true China and that the Communist Party of China, who governs mainland China, is actually technically West Taiwan. And I'll go a little bit into that in just a minute. China considers Taiwan to be part of China. They believe that the people living on Taiwan, the Taiwanese government, is illegitimate. They believe that Taiwan is rightfully part of China and that the Taiwanese government is really just a group of separatists who are fighting against the Communist Party of China. And in a technical sense, the Chinese Civil War never really ended because Taiwan and China are still two separate entities. China still claims Taiwan, Taiwan still claims China. So technically, the Chinese Civil War never ended. But how did that all happen? I asked, I did another poll on my Instagram and I asked everybody, or do you, do you understand why uh, China does not consider Taiwan an independent nation? And uh, a little over half of the people who responded said, no, I don't know. I don't understand why this, why this conflict is there. And I was actually very impressed that like a solid number of people said, yeah, I do understand the fact that I do understand the reason why China claims Taiwan. So like, good on you guys for understanding that whole situation. But uh, a brief history of China and Taiwan. Starting in the early 1920s, a civil war broke out in China. And this civil war continued through the 1920s and late into the 1930s. And the civil war was between the Chinese nationalists and the Chinese communists. And the Chinese nationalists were a democratic group. They were a capitalist group, they really leaned more to the right side of the political spectrum in terms of economics and in terms, uh, really just in terms of economics. And the communists leaned to the left side of the spectrum. They believed that the workers should control the means of production, They, they uh, and they opposed the nationalists and a lot of their ideologies. So these two groups went to, a, went to war, and it was a very destructive, very bloody war. And the only reason they stopped fighting, because no one could really gain the upper hand, the only reason they stopped fighting in the late 1930s is because Japan invaded China. And you could go back to my... Uh, I did an episode about the Second Sino-Japanese War, which was technically the beginning of World War II. I did a long episode about that. Go ahead and check that out. I do a lot of, I go, I really go deep into this. Uh, it's really an interesting war that happens that not a lot of people in the West know about. So, uh, the Chinese civil war was put on hold and the Chinese communists and the Chinese nationalists decided, okay, if we're going to win this war against Japan, because Japan has completely invaded our country, is killing all of our people, waging a brutal campaign against China, we will have to work together to do it. So even though they hated each other, and even though they'd been killing each other for over a decade, they said, okay, fine, we will work together to make this happen. And they were ultimately successful. Despite a few hiccups during World War II, there were moments where their alliance fell through, they would have clashes with each other in the Chinese countryside while they were still trying to fight the Japanese off. All in all, in, at the end of the day, they were able to fight off the Japanese and put aside their differences at least for eight or nine years to fight off the Japanese. 
when the Japanese were defeated at the end of World War II, barely months after that happened, the Chinese Civil War resumed and the communists and the nationalists resumed fighting. Now, the problem with the war for the Chinese nationalists is that their forces had been majority on the front lines of the war. They had waged conventional warfare against the Japanese, while the communists had opted instead to wage a guerrilla war against the uh, against the, Jap the imperial Japanese forces. So the, the communists were often in the countryside and they would uh, surprise attack supply lines, they would destroy bridges, they would, um, you know, just do small raids and stuff. And so they didn't suffer as many casualties. And at the same time, they were able to defend a lot of small villages around the countryside, which won the hearts and the minds of many of the Chinese people. While the Chinese nationalists who were waging a conventional war, trying to capture cities, trying to launch big offensives, they suffered millions of casualties and were not able to replenish those casualties because the Chinese communists were gaining so much momentum and uh, a lot of people were flocking to that ideology. So in the final stages of the Civil War, the Chinese Nationalist Army did again go to fight the Communist Army, but the Communists won because the Communists had, so, had not suffered the same amount of casualties that the Nationalists have. Plus, because the Nationalists had suffered so many casualties and so many conventional losses against the Japanese, a lot of the people in the countryside did not trust the Nationalists to govern the country. While the Communists were proclaiming, hey, food for everybody, everybody works, everybody eats. They were like, hey, after, you know, 20 years of warfare between the Chinese Civil War and the uh, Imperial Japanese invasion, that didn't sound like such a bad idea to, to many people who had been raised in a, in a country that didn't know anything other than this war. So, ultimately, in 1949, the, Civil war, the second phase of the Chinese Civil War came to a close. And the nationalists were forced into a port city on the southeast coast, and the last remaining nationalist forces, including the Chinese nationalist government, who proclaimed themselves the rightful government of China, fled to Taiwan. And that was where they stayed. Now, the Chinese communists did not have the means to launch a formal amphibious invasion over the Strait of Taiwan. Plus, because the United States was becoming so wary of the Soviet Union and their communist ideals during that same time... <clears throat> They didn't like the idea of communism. And so they wrote directly to China and uh, they said, hey, don't do this. Do not continue this war. Let them go in peace. You have one mainland China. If you decide to go over and take out the rest of these nationalist forces, we are going to intervene. And essentially they just sent like an aircraft carrying a bunch of battleships into the Strait of Taiwan to show the, uh, the communist Chinese we're not messing around. So the communist Chinese said, okay, fine. That's it. The, Communist Chinese, the Chinese Communist Party took control of China. The Chinese Nationalist Party took control of Taiwan. They, uh, and they established their government there. And they still say to this day that they are the rightful government of China. The Chinese Communist Party says Taiwan is part of China. That's why there's this conflict there. And there have been a number of crises over the years. There were a couple crises in the 1990s where uh, China tried to assert their dominance over Taiwan. And... Taiwan got ready to fight back, but the United States and other Western powers intervened, and they again said, hey, if you do this, we are going to get involved. It's going to be really nasty. And so the Chinese backed down. The difference between the 1990s and now for China is that China now has arguably one of, I think, the second most powerful military in the world after the United States. They have an extremely powerful military. And a comparison that I heard today was the Chinese military has progressed. Uh, in the 90s, they kind of compared to what the United States military was pre-World War I. And now, 
they are what the United States military was in the 1990s. <clears throat> they are an extremely powerful military, and that progression has come very quickly and frighteningly fast for places like the United States, who considers them one of our arch rivals. So the situation as it is today is that China has an extremely powerful military, and a lot of people would say, why does China want Taiwan? Taiwan is just this little island. I mean, sure, it's got some cool stuff. It's got a cool superconductor factory, but all in all, the Chinese mainland, mainland is so much more profitable for the Chinese than the straight than, than you know Taiwan and the Strait of Taiwan. Why is it such a big deal? Why is it such a big deal? Why does China want Taiwan? Well, we got to go back to the 1900s again and something called the Century of Humiliation for China. And the Century of Humiliation was a period between uh, 1890 and 1990 when China suffered so many losses at the hands of all these different uh, all these different nations, including Britain, including Japan, on two fronts. And arguably, if the if World War II had not broken out and and the, and the Americans had not entered the war and the British had not entered the war, China probably would have lost to the Japanese and lost most of the eastern seaboard of China to the Japanese, and it would still to this day be part of the uh, part of the Japanese Empire if someone else had not intervened. They would have lost to the Japanese. It's only because it's only because Britain, the Dutch, and the United States intervened in the Pacific that they were able to actually fight off the uh, the Japanese. And even then, it's only because the United States dropped the atomic bomb uh, on Japan that Japanese that Japan eventually resigned. And you know, you could argue a bunch of different things, but ultimately that was what spurred their resignation from the war. And their surrender during the war. So, the century of humiliation for China was a period where there was minimal growth, there was a ton of military losses, there was the Great Famine caused by Mao Zedong's communist policies, there, there was the uh, Tiananmen Square Massacre. There were so many different things that happened in China that uh, humiliated them on the world stage. So... China has come out of that, that century of humiliation. They are now in this post-century of humiliation world where they are trying to assert themselves on the world stage and they're doing a pretty damn good job of it. And, you know, everybody's afraid of China. If China were to invade any surrounding country, they would decimate them, completely decimate them, including Russia right now because the war in Ukraine has sapped Russia's military power, at least a lot of it. So... This is not so much that China wants more territory, because that wouldn't make a lot of sense considering that Taiwan is not an extremely profitable territory to have. You could argue that the Strait of Taiwan is powerful, they could control a lot of shipping lanes in that area, but China relies on the purchase of goods from the United States, Chinese goods from the United States, to buoy their economy up. So why would they shut down all of that trade? It wouldn't make any sense because it would just sabotage their own country. No, this is an ideological victory that China needs to finalize their assertion of themselves as a world power on the world stage. Because Taiwan, remember, still says that China is part of Taiwan. China is, mainland China is technically West Taiwan to Taiwan. China says that Taiwan is just Southeastern China. As long as Taiwan continues to exist as an independent entity, or, con or calls themselves an independent entity, they are an existential threat to the Chinese Communist Party and their complete control over the Chinese people, because 
there are Chinese people who see Taiwan and they say, well, if we can't take out that small island, how powerful is our government really? And if you understand how the Chinese government works, the Chinese government, the Chinese government is the deity of China. There, I mean, China practices state-sponsored atheism. There really, there's no religion in China because the government is the highest power. And as long as Taiwan exists, they are the existential threat to Chinese authority. That is why China wants to take Taiwan out because it will show that they do not put up with dissent, they do not put up with any separatism, and they are the rightful leaders of all of China. It would eliminate the formal resistance against the Chinese Communist Party in China, and it would put a formal end to the Chinese Civil War, which, if you even look on Wikipedia today, that war is technically still ongoing because Taiwan exists as an independent entity. That's why China wants Taiwan. And we in the West do not understand that kind of ideology because we are, we are a democratic nation. We like the spread of ideas. We like peace. We like, um, if people want to live differently, they are allowed to do that. We don't really understand the concept of a solid national identity propagated by a belief that complete control over society is how you grow a nation. We don't believe in that. Most of us believe that uh, I mean, there's some far right and far left people, but for the most part, most of us are somewhere in the center and we believe that people should be allowed to dictate themselves. They should be, they are, people are capable of self-governing. And if there's a large body of people who want to exit the union, it would be complicated, but you know, there's referendums like CalExit, there's referen there's referendums like Texit where California had an actual referendum and a vote that said, if we want to leave the union, we can. Texas had a similar vote. There's a lot of other states that are thinking about having similar votes, and that's not illegal to do that. In China, that is totally illegal to do that. So it's not something that we really understand to have that kind of, you know, power over your nation, or for us, lack of power over what your nation does, or just a generalized national identity like that. And I am rambling just a little bit, but there's a couple more things that are going into play and that have just gone into the play over the last few days that I want to talk about because this is part of something bigger, I think. I mean, I don't think it's a grand conspiracy. I don't think that it's, you know, China's coordinating with other countries to destabilize the entire global geopolitical system, but it's what's happening accidentally because all of these major events are happening at once. The second event I wanted to talk about is the Russian invasion of Ukraine and what Russia is now, uh, the, you know, the situation on the ground there. You may have heard, if, you're, if you've been following the situation in Ukraine, that uh, President, uh, Ukrainian President Zelensky has summoned a, a million-man army. That's his goal. Um, and after he creates this million-man army, he intends to launch an enormous counter-offensive in southern Ukraine to retake the Kherson region. Um, Kherson was the, uh, is the only major city that... Um, the Russians have managed to take. They've managed to take a lot of other smaller population centers, but Kherson is the first and only major population center that the Russians were able to take. It's in the south, it's by Crimea, and uh, it's been a source of pride for the Russian military since they took it. And it has, we've started to see in Kherson what the Russians intend to do there. They've introduced the Russian ruble into the currency there. They have um, established a Russian government inside Kherson. And what that means is that Russia probably plans to annex Kherson, and, uh, which means they also probably plan to um, annex Donetsk and Lugansk, which are the two breakaway republics in eastern Ukraine. So 
Ukraine is planning this enormous offensive in southern Ukraine to retake Kherson. The problem with this is that if uh, if this offensive fails, if this counteroffensive fails, it will be the end of Ukrainian resistance. This is the last major push that Ukraine has against the Russians. Their hope is to break Russian morale to the point where Russia will sue for peace. And I believe that it's going to fail. The Russian military still has control of Donetsk. They have control of Lugansk. And they have control of Kherson. They have control of Mariupol. They have control of Crimea. And they still have this incredibly powerful military presence in eastern and southern Ukraine where they could easily redirect a large amount of forces to fight back this counteroffensive. And if this counteroffensive is what Zelensky is hoping for, it is the only counteroffensive that they could that they could mount. They couldn't simultaneously mount a counteroffensive in southern Ukraine and eastern Ukraine. They don't have the manpower to do that. They only have the power to mount it in southern Ukraine, which means Russia will be able to redirect forces to fight off that counteroffensive and break its back. I believe that's what's going to happen. And what that means is that the war in Ukraine will resolutely be over. Zelensky will sue for peace or Russia will just steamroll the whole rest of the country and do whatever they want with it. And that will be the end of the war in Ukraine. What will happen after that will dictate how the world responds to China. Because if China were to invade Taiwan, they would win. That's just how that would work. Unfortunately, Taiwan is a democratic nation, it's a capitalist nation, it's a beautiful place, but China simply is too powerful unless Western powers intervene. Now, Western powers did not directly intervene in Ukraine, and as such, Russia is very, very likely going to win the war there. Sure, it's been taking a lot longer than they initially anticipated, and Ukraine has put up a hell of a fight against them, but that war is going to eventually be lost on Ukraine's side. So, what that means is Russia will then be free to do what they want with Ukraine, and they will get to choose if they want to keep these sanctions, if they want to control the grain flow in and out of Ukraine. Remember, Ukraine produces like something like 40% of the world's wheat, like a ton of wheat, and once Russia uh, wins this war, which I believe they will, whether it's tomorrow or whether it's in six months or a year, I believe that Russia will win the war, they will then control that supply of grain they will then have the power to do what they will with it, which means they could starve out much of the rest of the world, which it would first hit third world, which they're already getting hit with the impacts of the war. And that could cause a global bread crisis, which essentially is a global famine. If China takes Taiwan, then they will control a lot of superconductors. I mean, Taiwan has one of the largest uh, superconductor plants in the world, and I think they produce something like 90% of the superconductors in the world. And those are extremely important in creating cars and creating computers and creating lots of, lots of other things. And if China controls that, they'll be able to manipulate those prices however they wish, driving up the prices of virtually every major electronic good that is sold around the world, creating a pretty intense supply, uh, supply shortage. Um, I'm getting a couple questions in the live chat. Uh, Quentin, I'll answer your question in just a little bit. Um, so I'm looking at these two things happening in concert because China and Russia are both authoritarian governments, China, much more so than Russia. Russia still has a lot of democratic things going on, but they also are doing things like shutting down opposition media, like shutting down social media, um, things like that. But, you know, people don't get shot 
in the streets for protesting. Protesting, you have to have a very special permit to do it in Russia, but you can still do it. In China, protesting is virtually illegal. I mean, it, I think it is illegal. And these are two authoritarian governments that are the second and third most powerful militaries in the world. If they were to team up, they would be a formidable opponent to go up against the United States and the rest of the Western powers. And I believe that Russia and China have been waiting to time their invasions of these two respective territories in order to time them in a way that the West is incapable of responding to one without responding to the other, therefore bleeding the Western powers dry of military forces. I mean, as you might have seen, just today, we uh, the United States pledged another $550 million to Ukrainian aid. That, that brings the total up to something like $80 billion sent to Ukraine to fight the Russians. So essentially, we are in a war with Russia because that's an obscene amount of money to send to a country that we are not allied with. I, I, there's a lot of conspiracy theories as to why that's happening, why we're sending so much money to this country that we don't actually care about. And no one can tell me that you actually care about Ukraine because we don't. And I'm sorry. It's just the truth. We don't know Ukrainian people. We've ne most 99.9% .9 of us have never been to Ukraine. We just don't like the concept of somebody asserting their dominance over a sovereign nation. And I agree. I don't like the idea of Russia asserting their dominance over Ukraine. But at the end of the day, we have to be completely honest. Most of us do not care about the war in Ukraine. And I'm sorry. I'm sorry to have to be the person to say that, but... If you cared about the war in Ukraine, you would send, you know, all of your own money to it. You would go and you'd fight in it. But the reality is when, when the rubber meets the road, most of us would not do that. Now, off my soapbox, if Russia and China were to team up and say, I mean, not even militarily, militarily team up, but China were to say, okay, we control all the superconductors and Russia were to say, okay, we control all the, all the food. Even though the United States is the strongest military power in the world by a long shot, if Russia were to cut off the food and China were to cut off the superconductors in the world, inflation would go through the roof. The prices of all major electronic goods and most food in the world would go through the roof. And that would be a complete, that would spell pretty much disaster for the entire world. Primarily the third world. Most of Africa would starve and a lot of the Middle East would starve. So what would happen then is that Russia controls most of the gas supply that goes directly into Germany and therefore, uh, and then spreads out through the rest of the European Union. Russia could easily shut off that gas pipeline. Through this entire war, Russia has not shut off that gas pipeline yet. If Russia shuts off that gas pipeline, which they could easily do with basically the flip of a switch, that would mean gas prices in the European Union would go completely through the roof. We're talking... 8 9 10 $11 a gallon in the European Union, and those prices would spill over into the United States. Now, the good thing about the United States is we control most of our own gas, and we produce a lot of gas. We buy a lot of it, but we also produce a lot of it, and even though gas prices would go pretty high, maybe 6 or $7 in the United States, they would not go as high as they would in the European Union because the European Union does not produce most of their own gas. Most of those oil fields are in places like Georgia, uh, Georgia in, uh, in the Middle East, um, the Caucasus Mountains, places like Armenia, Azerbaijan, those kind of places. That's where most of the oil is produced in Eastern Europe. This is a textbook 21st century destabilization of a country. How do you destabilize a country? You tear their culture apart, you turn them against each other, and then you make everything extremely expensive. The United States does not have its own culture. Our culture is fighting ourselves. I mean, 
Let's just be real for a minute. We are already turned against each other in this bipartisan BS, where people hate each other over things that don't impact us directly. And, like, I mean, seriously. We hate each other, we hate each other over having different opinions. We are a completely divided nation. Things are, I mean, prices for everything in the United States are already going up very significantly. And inflation is higher than it's been in 60 years. And that's not good for the consumer. So if China were to cut off semiconductors, if Russia were to cut off gas and grain, that would make prices for everything go through the roof, therefore destabilizing our society because we would blame our own government. We would say, government, you have to do something about it because that's what our government has conditioned us to do. Trust the government. So that would probably lead to intense unrest inside the United States, perhaps separatism, perhaps civil war. That's what China wants to happen to our country. And that could be part of a grander scheme for taking Taiwan. It could be part of a bigger picture. In the end, these are the things that I'm looking at right now. Now, there's one other thing I want to talk about before I finish up. And the last thing that I want to talk about is that there have been clashes between police in Serbia and Kosovo. Um, now, most of my listeners may not know where Serbia is. Uh, Serbia is a country in southeastern Europe. It's on the border of Romania and Bosnia, Croatia, Slovenia, uh, North Macedonia, that that general area. is formerly Yugoslavia. And there have been clashes between Serbian and... Kos uh, I don't know how to say if it's Kosovan or uh, Kosovoi or... Uh, some, I don't, I'm, I'm going to say Kosovan because I think that's how you say, that's how, that's how you say people from Kosovo. Um, they've been clashing on their border. Now, Kosovo is a breakaway republic from Serbia. It's not internationally recognized by most countries, um, but the United States did favor its separatism back in the 1990s. Kosovo separated from Serbia or uh, demanded to separate from Serbia because it was uh, majority Muslim. Most of Serbia is... Uh, Orthodox Christian uh, or Orthodox Catholic. I'm not totally sure. And, uh, that's the, that's a major difference between ideologies. Um, and Kosovans identified more with Albanians than they did with Serbians. And so they said, we want to be our own little nation. They tried to join Albania, but Albania said, no, we want no part of this. We saw what you guys did during the Yugoslav war. We are our own place, but we do support your independence. So back in the 1990s, there was a civil war, uh, and, Kosovo retained something of its independence, and even though Serbia does not recognize it, it doesn't force it to be back part of Serbia, and it's kind of stayed that way for a while. Actually, back in 2019-2020, President Donald Trump mediated a meeting between uh, the... I think it's Kosovoi. Ah, anyway between the Kosovan president and the Serbian president and were able to reach an agreement where they would build a road between the Kosovan capital and the Serbian capital, Belgrade. Which was a really, really big deal. Now, um, there are some, there's some unrest happening where uh, Serbia is trying to assert its dominance over Co Kosovo again, and Kosovo is ready to fight back. There have been clashes between police, gunfire has been heard on the border. And why is this important? Well, because Serbia is not part of the North Atlantic Treaty Organization, which is the main reason that Russia invaded Ukraine right now. If you've been following my podcasts, you know that that's why Russia invaded Ukraine. And Serbia never joined NATO. Because during the Yugoslav Wars, Serbia was accused of committing a lot of war crimes, which they did, and NATO declared that 
uh, declared war essentially on Serbia and they bombed a lot of Serbian cities so that Serbia would back off places like Croatia and Bosnia and North Macedonia and places because they said you need to leave all these territories alone because they don't want to be part of your nation anymore and Serbia eventually gave up they pulled out of the different nations and that's when NATO stopped bombing uh, Serbian cities and that is why Serbia has never joined NATO because they don't trust them and they don't like them so obviously Russia does not like NATO Serbia does not like NATO the United States favors Kosovo because Serbia uh, because they fought Serbia during the Yugoslav Wars, and they're part of NATO. And so the United States not has not formally recognized Kosovo as an independent nation, but they do support Kosovo trying to use de- democratic means to, means to gain its independence. They do not support governments going in and killing people in order to retain control over a nation. So Serbia has actually been growing closer to Russia since the Russian invasion of Ukraine, to the point where Serbia has been harboring Russian warplanes that could not get back to Russia because NATO closed its airspace to Russian planes, all Russian planes. So Serbia has been somewhat inadvertently assisting Russia and been a safe harbor for Russia and uh, kind of there in inside of Europe while this whole invasion is going on and while the rest of the NATO countries put up a virtual wall where Russian aircraft can't get through since the invasion. NATO has said directly to this, to Serbia that if they start, if, if, I mean, if guns start going off big time and they start killing Kosovans, NATO will intervene like they did in the 1990s. If NATO intervenes in Serbia, it's very likely that Russia could see that as a violation of Serbian sovereignty. Russia already has a bone to pick with NATO. So, if Russia considers that a violation of Serbian sovereignty, historically, Serbia and Russia are very good friends. Remember, World War I started because Russia came to Serbia's aid. I mean, granted, that was over 100 years ago, but old habits die hard. Could be something to look at. If Russia thinks that Serbia is threatened, their one friend through all of this, Russia's one friend, suddenly gets threatened by the one person, by the one group that they hate more than anything and that has caused all of this death and destruction in their eyes. Could Russia use that as justification for a war with the North Atlantic Treaty Organization? I don't know. And I'm not going to go out and say that I know what's going to happen because I freaking don't. I have no clue what's going to happen. I'm very unnerved by all of this. There's a lot going on in the world. We've got potential war with China. The United States, uh, a, a diplomat for the United States is recognizing Taiwan after repeated warnings from China that they should not do that, that China would respond with military might. Russia is going to win the war over Ukraine and then control the Ukrainian grain supply, which they could use to start a global famine. And Russia could consider a NATO viol- uh, a, a uh, NATO intervention in Serbia as a violation of Serbian sovereignty and therefore use it to justify a war with NATO. Russia and China could be working together. They could be, you know, not working directly together, but they could say, hey, look what we could do. We could control this entire planet in 20 minutes if we wanted to. Shut down the oil, take over the semiconductors, control the South China Sea, shut off grain supply. We could completely control the the supply of all these major goods in this world 
All we have to do is send a bunch of our troops in, and a lot of people are going to have to die, but it might just have to happen if we want to gain control over this. Russia's authoritarian, China's authoritarian. They want control. That's the whole reason their governments exist, is to have control. It's a scary world we live in at the moment. A lot is happening right now. Now, I said on my Instagram, I had a lot of messages today of people saying, I'm scared, I don't know what to do, uh, what should I expect? All I can really say is make a date with people that you love and go spend time with those people, hug them a little extra. And if you have a, if you have a hobby that you really enjoy, go do that. I do not think the world is going to come to an end. I genuinely believe the civilized world is going to do just fine. Maybe we'll have a war. Maybe a lot of people are going to die, but all in all, most of us will be okay. So, the best thing to do is while all the world starts changing, do things that make you happy because it will make handling the change easier. I do think we're about to experience a major global shift in politics. I don't know what that entails, but I do believe that's going to happen and it's important to be ready for it. I rambled a lot in this episode because I literally got off work. I came, I ate dinner right when I got home and I came straight to this little studio that I have and I recorded this episode. I had no notes, only what I'd been thinking about all day and I rambled a lot. So if you made it all the way to the end, you guys in the live stream, I appreciate you a lot for that. Now I'm going to answer the question from my friend Quentin. He says, do you think Russia would pull back at all if China attacks Taiwan and the US intervenes? I don't think so, Quentin, mostly because the United States has not intervened in Ukraine yet, and so I think Russia believes that they won't. Um, the difference between Ukraine and Taiwan is that Taiwan is a recognized U.S. ally. Ukraine is not. Um, Ukraine is not. The United States has never pledged any formal military assistance to Ukraine before the invasion. They've never said, yeah, if you go into a war, we will go with you. Whereas the United States and Taiwan, the United States said back in the 90s, Taiwan, if you if you go to war with China, we will come to your aid and we will fight alongside you. Now, it sounds like the White House is kind of pulling back from that agreement, which is a violation of an, of an alliance system. And uh, so if the U.S. intervened in a, and fought the Chinese, Russia would say, well, I mean, but they're not Ukraine's ally, so... And also, I think they would look at that and think, why would the United States go to war with us and China? Because that would just be ridiculous. Because that would be so destructive, so many people would die, and it would make no sense for us to just attack Russia to defend a country that we are not allied with. That's what I think. I've been wrong many, 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 many times before. I have a lot of ex-girlfriends that I should not have dated. I've been wrong. But I've also been right about some things. So, just saying. Alright, um, that's going to be it for this podcast. Thank you all for tuning in. Uh, wow, 42 minutes. That is pretty good, to be honest. I thought I was going to hopefully get maybe 25 minutes out of this, but I did ramble a lot. I looped around a lot. Thank you all for listening in. I love you all. You're wonderful. If you enjoy the podcast, please head over to Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. Drop me a five-star review. Let me know that you're enjoying what you're hearing. I will have Conflict of Nations Part 10 out probably in the next week. Thank you all for listening in. Enjoy the rest of your day.